Every person in life experiences great moments. Life is about trying to make more of the great moments than chas shalom, the opposite. But that doesn't define a Jew. When Hashem asked Abraham Avinu, Lech Lecha, I want you to come back and be a great person every single day. And that's a tremendous tall order. To be great every day of the week, that's not simple. Everyone has their great moments, but to come back every day and be great? I remember one year we were up with the guys with Shavuot night. This room was filled to the max. I remember on my table, of these two tables, we have about 80, 90 guys learning together in one class. And these were guys that got into it and they were yelling and screaming. Nobody was looking at the clock. We had a four and a half hour shiur the entire night. And they were so into it. At the end of the night, after we prayed, obviously, a whole night, everybody was zonked. We were about to go back home, grab a kiddush and a good day's sleep. One, matter of fact, more than one, but at least one guy I remember came running up to me and he said to me, Rabbi, before you leave, I just want to tell you something. You know, for many years, I tried to learn. I was even in yeshiva at one point before I went out to work. But for some reason, learning and me never agreed. I want to tell you something. Last night's learning was amazing. I loved every second of it. And I'm telling you, I was like, I didn't even know where the night went. The time flew, and we enjoyed it so much. Rabbi, I want to ask you something. Could we do this once a week? And I looked at the guy. (laughs) Once a week? You want to do a Shavuot night once a week? Do you know that it took me six hours of preparation to prepare that four-hour share that we did with you guys? You want me to do this once a week? I said, you might as well just string up the rabbi now if you're asking me for Certain things, people enjoy that, you know, wow, I love that moment of learning. But that's not really what Hashem asked Abraham Avinu. Abraham asked, Hashem asked Abraham Avinu, Lech Lecha. And this is a brilliant message. It's a message that I want you to come back, and I want you to follow me every day of your life. I don't want you to be the wishy-washy, observant religion. I don't want you to be the people that one day you put on tefillin and then one day you don't. One week we're eating kosher and one week we're not. One week we're keeping Shabbat and one week we're not. One week we're dressing the way we're supposed to be and the next week, oops, my wardrobe took a turn. That's not who we were meant to be. And there's a very powerful message behind this. You see, because everyone speaks about the ten tests of Abraham Avinu. But what we forget to mention is that these 10 tests were in ascending order, meaning each test was more difficult than the one before it. Now, what was the test right before Lech Lecha? That was the test of Ur Kazdim. Torah doesn't talk about it much. Matter of fact, Torah doesn't talk about it at all. It only mentions two words. And from those two words, we were supposed to understand and get the signal of the whole story that the Midrash tells us what happened in Ur Kazdim, the place of the fire of Kazdim. There was a fire there. Now we know what happened with the fire. We know that Nimrod made Avraham Avinu, or actually threw Avraham Avinu, into the fire, saying that if you really have a God, and that if he's better than our idols, let's see him save you. 
That was the story of Or Kazdim. Avraham Avinu jumping into a fire al Yidei Kiddush Hashem. Okay, so that was number eight on the top ten list. What was number nine? The next one was Lech Lecha. God says, follow me to a land that I will show you. Wait one second. Wait one second. I thought you told me that each test is more difficult than the one that came before it. Now, ladies, I think we'll all agree on this one. If I would come to someone and say, follow me to Israel, we'd be a lot quicker to do that, although it might be difficult, but we'd be a lot quicker to do that than if I tell you, jump into a fire. I think it's a no-brainer. But yet, the rabbis tell us, jumping into a fire was not as difficult of a test than the test of, follow me. It's an amazing idea. What is the answer? And the answer is a tremendous one. Because jumping into the fire is one great moment, but then it's over. Hashem says, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me. It's more difficult to live for God than it is to die for God. And you, 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 you might argue the point, but I think if you think into it well, to be able to lech lecha, to come back every day and live for Hashem, and come back and be that great Jew, not once in a lifetime, not twice in a lifetime. You know, like those ball players that they made one amazing catch in their career and they show it to you on replay for the next 50 years and they're remembered by that one great moment. But that's it. Now, two weeks later you find out that he was arrested somewhere for beating up his uh, girlfriend, you know, whatever it was. And uh, well, what happened? But he was a superstar. No, he had a great moment. But he's not a superstar. Hashem says, I don't want you to have great moments. I want you to be superstars. To be a superstar, you've got to be great every single day. And that's what a Jew is. A Jew is someone who doesn't have great moments. We're great people. To be a great person, you have to come back and be great in what you were meant to do every single day. And that's what the Gidolim were all about. You don't find Gidolim that take off vacation from being Gidolim. You know, you can come to us 10 months out of the year, but the other two months we're uh, in Hawaii. And that doesn't happen. Gedolim are great every day of their lives. And this is a big message for a Jewish people to understand the difference between being a great Jew and an ordinary one. Being great is to be great every day. Lech Lech Hashem says, follow me. He doesn't tell him where the destination is going to be to bring out the point. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And in that journey, I want you to follow me with a blind faith in a certain way, with a true faith. Every step I take, I want it to be together with you, says Hashem. That's an amazing thing. Here you have the great Avraham Avinu, who the rabbis tell us, he kept the entire Torah. And there are many proofs to this. We know Lushi, Vasi, Ugot, if you take a look at the Rashis, he was actually making matzot. It happened to have been the time of Pesach. Amazing stuff. And if you go through the Psukim, you'll see all the different Rimazim to so many different great mitzvot that Avraham Avinu would do. There's one mitzvah out of 613 mitzvot that he kept, one that he did not do until God told him to do it. Everything else he did on his own. 
Hashem did not tell him to bake matzot on Pesach. He did that because he was observing the Torah. And in the Torah, there were matzot. Now, you're going to ask me, Rabbi, what matzot? What Pesach? What are you talking about? Avraham Avinu, Mitzrayim didn't take place yet. Yes, I understand. But Avraham Avinu already knew that there's going to be an Egypt. There's going to be a story of a Jewish redemption. There's going to be a need for a Jewish people to go down to Mitzrayim, to be put through the Kor HaBarzel, to be taught to taste what it means to be subservient to a master, so that we can be a subservient people to the master of the universe. He knew this was coming. And many of the things that went on when he himself went down to Egypt was really trailblazing what's going to take place many years later, including allowing his wife, telling everyone that she's his sister, in order to set up the next step of allowing his wife to be taken to the house of Paro. What man <laughs> would allow his wife to be taken to the house of Paro by telling everyone, she's my sister? It's amazing if you ever saw the psukim over there. Abraham says, I'm scared they're going to kill me, so you know what I'm going to do? I'll let him know that you're my sister. Yeah, and then what? How does that make things better? You know what's going to happen at that point. You know what's going to happen to his wife. You know where they're going to take her to. Sarah Imani was one of the most beautiful women to ever live in history. You know good and well where she's going to... So why was that better? Why wasn't Avraham worried for his wife? And the answer is, because Avraham and Sarah knew the end of the story. They knew that the Jewish people eventually are going to be in Egypt. And now was the time to plant the seeds for a future nation, a Jewish people. How did they do that? Abraham Avinu deliberately allowed that his wife to go to the house of Paro so that the minute Paro would try to make a move on her, he would get such a beating that Paro and his children and his grandchildren and their great-grandchildren will all get an amazing historical message. You don't come near the Jewish women. It's an amazing idea. And in the merit and the zechut that Sarah was such a tzaddeket in the house of temptation, she gave in the DNA for all the future women of the Jewish people to be unbelievably steadfast, be unbelievably pure and noble, even years later when they're in a house of slavery. Generally, a house of slavery is a place where people can be taken advantage of, but yet not the Jewish women. They were untouched. They went through 210 years of bondage and purity. How did they pull that off? That, that, that has to be a miracle. And the answer is because they came from Asara Imenu, who gave them the strength, the example in the DNA, to be able to show them how she carried herself in the house of Paro. And guess what? Not only did Sarah give down to her future daughters of Klal Yisrael the dignity of a Jewish girl, but also Paro gave down to his sons a big message. Do you know that when we come out after using the restroom, we make a special biracha, asher yatsar. And you know the words that we say. We say, depending on which way you learn the halacha. But at the end of the day, the words are that those bodily holes can close it open. You know where that story originated from? Paro. Part of the beatings that Paro got when he came near Sarah Imenu was that Hashem made a miracle and all the, 
how do I say this? The uh, parts of his body that was meant to allow things to come out suddenly closed up completely. So forever, Paro was screaming to his kids, don't you go near the Jewish girls. Because God will come at you the way he did to me. And because of that, 210 years of bondage, and they knew, don't go near the Jewish girls. All of this, every step of the parasha, was all about trailblazing for future generations. These were forefathers and great mothers that together were making and planting seeds for the future generations of the Jewish people. They were setting up everything for us in advance. So if that's the case, Abraham knew about Egypt. He knew about everything. He had the entire Torah. He kept the entire Torah. But there was one mitzvah he wouldn't do until God tells him, do it. And that was Brit Mila. And the question is why? He baked Matzot on Pesach. No one told him to do that, but he kept the Torah. He stayed up all night, Shavuot night, <laughs> learning Torah, and it wasn't even given yet. But yet, Brit Mila was the one mitzvah he would not do until Hashem tells him to do it. And ladies, if I may add a little wood to the fire of this question. Not only didn't he do it on his own, like all the mitzvot? But when Hashem finally told him to do it, Avraham Avinu hesitated. Now listen to this Midrash. The Midrash writes that when Avraham Avinu was commanded to do the Brit Milah, he actually asked and seeked counsel from three people. One man was named Mamre. The other two were Goim, that we don't have to mention their name because they came out on the wrong side of the coin. Listen to what happened. Avraham Avinu goes to the first guy. He says to him, what do you think? Hashem told me to do Brit Milah. Should I do it? He says, no. He comes to the second guy. Hashem told me to do Brit Milah. Should I do it? No, no way. He comes to Mamre, the third guy. Hashem told me to do Brit Milah. Should I do it? Mamre says, if Hashem told you to do it, then do it. By the way, Mamre was rewarded that because he gave the proper advice to Avraham Avinu, that's why God appeared to Avraham, Be'elone Mamre. Hashem placed his presence and appeared to Avraham in the place of Mamre, in the land of Mamre, which was incredibly blessed the moment that Hashem put his presence there. Why? Because of the good advice that he gave to Avraham Avinu. But ladies, this is, this is an amazing thing. Avraham Avinu, the one that did the entire Torah on his own. And yet, one mitzvah, even when he was commanded to do it, he hesitated. This is not like him. This is Avraham Ahuvi, is the way Hashem called Avraham Avinu. Avraham, my loved one. Why was Avraham hesitating to do the Brit Milah? And ladies, I want you to open your hearts and hear an amazing idea. Avraham Avinu was not hesitating to do the Brit Milah. He had no hesitation in his service to God. Oh, absolutely not. Rather, there was a reason for the hesitation. Avraham Avinu was the great master of Kiruv. Avraham Avinu went all over the world and he brought back tens of thousands of people Hashem, to what was going to be the future of Judaism. And all the converts and all the people he brought back to Judaism. Avraham Avinu was that first 
Kiruv master. He was the guy that knew how to bring the Shamot back to Hashem. And later on, obviously, to be known as Judaism. Avraham Avinu was worried. Do you know the secret of a Kiruv master? Do you know the secret of those Kiruv rabbis that know how to be able to be Moshech, the hearts of people that are not religious, and bring them to religion? The secret is an amazing one. It's all about fitting in. You got to be able to fit in with the people. You got to be able to give them the feeling like you're part of them, like you're one of them. You literally are going in like an undercover agent in a certain way. And, and you're talking to them their language and their style. And you're reaching their hearts on their level in their way. And that enables you to bring out a certain beauty of influence, to be able to be Moshech the people, to come over to what should be the truth they're looking for. But you've got to fit in with the people. Says Avraham Avinu my whole life, the reason why I was able to bring back the people because I knew how to hacky with the people. I knew how to chill with the people. I knew how to be able to reach them where they were so that we can bring them closer to Hashem. But if I go now and circumcise myself, suddenly I'm going to alienate myself from the people. I'm going to be different. When you're different, you're different. And that's your downfall in Kiruv. You come to a person and you try to bring them back to Judaism, <laughs> to religion, to God, and they look at you and say, but you're different. You're not like me. We're different. So that might work for you, but that doesn't work for me. The greatest, and I tell this all the time to the guys in my shul. I say, guys, you're better at Kiruv than the rabbi. Because when they look at me, they say, he's a rabbi. Say, he's a rabbi. You know, he's like, a, he's a Martian. <laughs> he's a rabbi. He's a rabbi. So, you know, that's for him, that's a rabbi, but I'm not a rabbi. So, okay, you know. No. But when they see a regular guy that has a full-time job with a family just like his, with the same struggles as him, and that guy comes into the shul at 5.30 in the morning to learn for an hour and a half before davening, wow, now that's inspiring. Because this guy's in a t-shirt and jeans. And the rabbi's still walking around with the same tie for three weeks. That's very different. The secret of Kiruv is to find that common ground that the people feel so equal and close and the same that, hey, if that makes sense to you and it works for you, then it'll probably work for me too. And that's why people begin to come back little by little says Avraham Avinu I kept every mitzvah in the Torah but there was one mitzvah I would not do yet and that was Brit Milah because if I want to continue doing my life's mission I cannot be different than the people I gotta fit in and only when Hashem told him to do it even then he was worried of course he was going to do it he wasn't asking should he do it of course he was going to do it he was trying to figure out how am I going to do it? How am I going to take on the mitzvah brit milah and still remain the Kirov master of the world and still fit in with the people when now I am so flesh and blood different? This was a tremendous quandary. Finally, Mamre turns around and tells Avraham what the first two guys couldn't. The first two told him, don't do the brit milah or else you'll never fit in with the people. 
you'll have to stop your life's mission. Comes Mamre and says, no, Avraham, do the Brit Milah, because your life's mission is for Hashem. And if Hashem is telling you to do Brit Milah, then that means Hashem knows that your mission will somehow or other, even though it seems logically not so, but it somehow will be enhanced instead of being brought to an end. That was the message of Mamre. And that Avraham Avinu got comfort. Did the Brit Milah. And if you take a look at the end of the Pasuk, I think we could bring a new clarity. Because at the end of the Pasuk it says, when Hashem told him, do the Brit Milah, Hashem also told him at that point, Avraham, you're going to have a son. I'm going to give you a child. And he's going to be the next of the Avot and the future of the Jewish people. What does one have to do with another? But now we have a beautiful explanation of the connection. Avraham, for the first hundred years of your life, your life's mission was to be the Kiruv master of the world. And that's what he did for the first hundred years. And as long as you don't have kids, you can do that. As long as you don't have kids, you can be traveling all over the place, doing whatever crazy schedule he needed to do to reach the hearts of the people and open up monotheism to the world, that there's a one God and only God, Hashem Echad. But now Hashem says, now is the time for you to do Brit Milah. You know why? Because now is the time that you're going to have a new job in life. You're getting a career change. Till now you were wearing the hat of the master of Kiruv. Now I'm giving you a new job. Now you're going to do the most important Kiruv of your life. You know what that's called, ladies? It's called being a parent. And there's very big differences between being Mikarev strangers and being Mikarev your own kids. And I'm in the business. And I want to tell you that the second job is harder. <laughs> it's harder. It's unbelievable. You think the other way, right? You'd think that to walk into a room of a bunch of strangers and to walk up to people and start talking up a, a storm of schmooze with them and little by little find out about them and a nice little conversation and from there offer them maybe, hey, a little class, a little this, a little that and we bring food and we make it nice and we make it appealing and there's always something that, you know, the way you reach a man's heart is through his stomach. You know that, ladies. So one by one, step by step, you'd think that that takes more talent than your own kid. Because what do you mean? Your own kid growing up in a religious house to parents who are already religious or parents that are becoming religious or parents who already understand life a lot better than when they were younger and they're starting to grow on their own so they have a better message to give to their kids than once upon a time when they were younger. You would think that at that point they got their act together and that job would be an easier job. And you would think that wearing the hat of parenthood is easier than wearing the hat of kiruv. It's not. It's not. And it's very different. And it's a totally different art. I like to use that word in this particular scenario for good reason. There's an art to kiruv and there's an art to parenting. And they're very different. Matter of fact, you want to hear something amazing? They might even be opposites. Kiruv, we just explained, is all about fitting in. Parenthood is not about fitting in. Parenthood is about 
showing the best role model that this child can have somebody to look up to. Someone that they can be inspired every day of their lives. Spending it with their parents and gaining so much to, for, the, for the foundations of their future. And this is exactly what happened here with Avraham. For the first hundred years, he had to fit in with the goyim in order to be able to be mikarev them. For the next 75 years, he had to not fit in with the goyim in order to be the best role model parent for his son Yitzchak. Wow. Completely opposite roles. Mission one in life to how he went. Hybrid. Mission two. It was what we call in English, forgive me for the big English here, but what we call in English a metamorphosis, where he went from caterpillar to butterfly. It's an amazing thing. You know, most people in life, our challenges is to decide between right and wrong. But look at the greatness of Abraham Avinu. He had to make a decision between right and right. It's an amazing idea. He was doing this amazing mission of right, and that was Kiruv of the world, going out to them. Now he has a child at home. Now we need daddy at home. We need mommy at home. Because the greatest sense of parenthood works through example to be a great role model for their children. And that's why Hashem said to Abraham, you're going to have a child now. Now you need to do Brit Milah. You know why? Because I want your little boy to look up to his daddy and say, wow, I want your son to see the perfect Jew. And a Jew is not complete until he has a Brit Milah. So now let's build the perfect Jewish role model so that your son Yitzchak will have the best Jewish role model daddy to look up to. Therefore, and so, he will too be able to be the next of the Avot Hagdoshim. This is the way we raise greatness. You know how you raise greatness? You introduce them to greatness. I'd like to write that one down. You know, <laughs> you know how you raise greatness? Introduce them to greatness. Let them see greatness at home. Because when they have people to look up to, great Jewish people, our kids become great Jewish people. This is the sweet secret of parenthood and the amazing career change of Avraham Avinu at the age of 100 when Yitzchak Avinu was finally born. And don't think, ladies, don't think that Avraham Avinu, the great Kiruv master, stopped doing Kiruv at the age of 100. He just changed the game plan. Now, instead of going out to the world, he built Hotel Abraham. Eshel Avraham. Now he came up with a brilliant idea that instead of him going out to the people, he's going to have the people come to him. So he makes this oasis in the middle of the desert. That means now he has a monopoly, right? <laughs> There's no other business around. So he has this unbelievable Motel 26, you know, not, you know, not Motel 6, Motel 26. That's Abraham Avinu, Yudkei Vavke. He puts up this amazing motel in the middle of the desert with doors all around it so it's completely open for anyone to come in. And now Avraham Avinu is going to do a new style of Kiruv. But it's a homebound Kiruv. Because now the Kiruv is being done as a role model in front of his son. Because absentee parenthood doesn't work. Not this generation.
There's no automatic pilot anymore, ladies. It doesn't exist. Today, parenthood's tremendous work, tremendous tears, and fantastic tefillot. And that combination is a combination for great children. But there's no cutting corners on this one. And even that, with all the efforts we put in, and still we need Siata Dishmaya. There are some parents out there that are great parents, who were great role models, who gave tremendous love and tefillot and still had problems. That's the generation we're living in today. So Kal in such a generation, how much more the absentee parenthood concept is totally obsolete. The greatest gift you can give to a little boy is a father. And I want to tell you this. Nothing builds a young boy greater than his father. His mother gives him incredible love and confidence, but his father is his backbone. I could show you the difference in the classrooms between the boys who grew up with fathers who are involved in their lives and weekend fathers that everybody only saw on weekends. And there is no heter for our children today to be brought up without both parents putting in their heart and soul to the development of the best of their kids. And I know you're looking to me like, Rabbi, you're preaching to the choir. You're talking to the wrong crowd. Believe me when I tell you. I speak about this to the guys all the time. I understand that people need to travel for business. I understand that business today is cutthroat. And if they don't work their tails off day and night, it's very difficult to get ahead of the competition. I get it. I also get that the Parnassah comes from Shamayim, and Shamayim wants us to take care of those wonderful gems, the greatest gifts that we've been given by God is our kids. It wouldn't make sense that God would give us children and somehow or other we'd live a life that they'd be swept under the carpet to things that we thought were more important. And therefore, Avraham Avinu understood that the kiruv that he's going to do now is at home in front of the eyes of Yitzchak. And what was that kiruv, by the way? They would come in from all over. They would sit down by his table and he would feed them. And then after he'd feed them, and after they'd stay over by him for some long time, at that point, when they were about to leave, Avraham Avinu would bring him the bill. He would have an itemized bill showing everything the guy ate, the nights he slept over, and the charge at the end. And the charge was an exuberant hotel charge. And Avraham Avinu would hand the guy the bill, and he would tell him, it's up to you. If you believe that the food that I fed you was from Hashem, then you owe me nothing because it wasn't me who gave you the food. Make perkat say, hodul Hashem kitov ki leolam hazdo, and you don't owe me a penny. But if you don't want to believe in God, and you still want to walk around with your travel-size avodah zarah hanging on your belt, if that's the case, then you don't believe in God. That means you believe that I gave you the food. If you think I gave you the food, then boy, do you owe me. So pay up. A very convincing tactic for Kiruv. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many people said, Bring the Birkat Amazon! My Maharonim Chovah! 
Suddenly they, they, they benched Birkat Hamazon with a lot of kavana, And it worked. How many people Avraham Avinu now was able to be Mikarev through Eshel Avraham, through that amazing homebound hotel. But now look how the tactic changed. Because the life's mission changed. Because now he's not wearing the hat of Kiruv Master, now he's wearing the hat of Daddy, Abba, Parenthood. And this is a tremendous idea. What a mother gives to a child, a father could never give. And what a father gives to a child, a mother can never give. That's why Hashem in His brilliance was able to fashion the system that to every child there's a mother and a father. And they're both contributing what the other one couldn't supplement. And that's the reason that we need today, in this generation more than ever, a kiruv at home. A concept where we understand that these were the greatest gifts that were given to us. This was the secret of Abraham Avinu. Ladies, we had here, this past Friday night, a real, a real great encyclopedic, brilliant Talmud Chacham, a former Rosh HaYeshiva here in the United States, moved to Eretz Yisrael, none other than Rabbi Beryl Wine, Shalita. What an amazing person. What an amazing personality. He's something out of this world, really. I, I mean, I, growing up, always would hear his lectures and his speeches and so on. I tell you the truth, I walked in. I looked at the front table where he was already sitting. I didn't recognize him. You see somebody that over the years, you know, he got older. It was hard for him to walk. But the moment he began to speak, oh, that's Rabbi Marowine. The minute you heard his voice and his style, it was unbelievable. I, was, I felt so honored to have him speak here by us in the shul Friday night. So after shul, I got to walk him home. And I started asking him all my historical questions that I had placed in my back pocket for years that I never had answers for. But he was the guy. Like when I introduced him, I said, guys, you know, it's very seldom that someone in this generation would be zoche to get their name synonymous with a certain part of Torah. It's not typical. But when you think history, you think Rabbi Barawine. That's just the way it is. So one guy was there with us, and he asked Rabbi Wine an amazing question. It was such a good question, I was jealous that I didn't ask that question. He turned to Rabbi Wine and he said, Rabbi Wine, you're the authority on the history of the Jewish people. I want to ask you one question. What was the greatest lesson that you learned from Jewish history? What a great question. And the perfect guy to ask. <laughs> what a perfect question to the perfect person. Rabbi Wine, ladies, didn't bat an eyelash, I'm telling you. It was like the guy didn't even finish his question. He was already on the answer. He looked the guy dead in the eye. And he said to him, He just said, boom. He says, the greatest lesson that I learned in Jewish history was that Hashem never does anything in the way that you expected him to do it. He always does it his way. And it always turns out to be the best way. Wow. Wow. What a lesson. But that says it all. That's Lech Lecha. That's what we're talking about. That's Hashem saying, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. It's about follow me even if it doesn't make sense to you. Put your faith in me even if things aren't going the way you'd like it to go. 
I might have a better plan, says God. So just because it's not happening the way you logically worked out that you expected it to happen doesn't mean that I don't have it working out in a better way. And even if it doesn't look good, and it's painful sometimes. But wait, if you put your absolute faith in Him, and you put a trust in Him, Hashem says, you're relying on me? The famous words of the Chobat HaLevavot, you're relying on me, says Hashem. You put your trust in me, I'll never let you down. I'll show you that what I had in, pl- in mind for you was always clearly the best. But this takes tremendous sacrifice. And that's what we got from Avraham Avinu. hundred years, sacrifice, going around the world, bringing back Nishamot, people, Tasha. The second 75 years, putting on the next hat, the next career of being a parent, bringing up Yitzchak Avinu, the next of the Avot, the next of the great ones of Klal Yisrael. And both takes tremendous sacrifice. The sacrifice at home that we do for our own kids and the sacrifice on the outside of the home that we do for Klal Yisrael. That is in the embodiment of Abraham Avinu and his greatness. That was Lech Lecha. Every day he came back and he was great every single day. And ladies, it's because of that sacrifice that we're still here today. Because if you want something to succeed in Judaism, it only comes through sacrifice. Everything that you sacrifice for has special siyata dishmaya. Nothing really good comes easy. But if you worked hard for it, and I'm sure you'll speak to your fathers, they'll tell you how they came to this country with nothing. And they worked their tails off. And they sacrificed yomam valayla, but bliyayin hara, they were blessed. That sacrifice paid off. And when you sacrifice for things, it pays off. There was a rabbi called Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He was in a cave living with miracles. But somehow or other, when it came time to learn Torah, he would cover himself to his neck in sand. Why? Because he didn't want his clothing to get worn down. And all the rabbis asked, are you joking me? You're living by miracles. You have this stream that suddenly appeared in front of the cave. You have this buxar tree that suddenly appears in front of the charuf tree, right? That comes in front of the cave. Eliyahu Avi comes every day. You're living in miracles. All of a sudden, you're worried about the dry cleaning of your clothing? Come on! And the answer is, no, it wasn't about the clothing. He wanted to sit in sand up to his neck while he's learning Torah because he knew that the success in Torah, Judaism, comes through sacrifice. And if I don't sacrifice for it, I'll never get the great si'ata d'shmaya that really I can get for this. Anything you want to be the most successful in, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. That's our kids, and that's everything that we're doing in life. So let me just end off with this great story. A story that you might have heard. But I'll tell you the truth. I have a gentleman here in the shul, Mr. Beller. He's an Auschwitz concentration camp survivor. Every morning, ladies, that I pray with this guy, Shachri, and he pulls up his sleeve to put on his tefillin, and I see those numbers, I can cry. I'm, I'm telling you. And it doesn't wear off. Every morning, the guy pulls up his sleeve. I see the numbers going down his arm. I, 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 I can fold to pieces. And when he gets up, and, he, and we ask him to speak, he gets up and he speaks. And when he speaks, he doesn't speak the story. He relives the story. Because every story he tells, he breaks down crying in front of the whole shul. And you know, young guys don't like to cry. And they don't like people who cry. 
because then it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them uncomfortable. But, you know, it's okay. I put them up there anyways. Because I tell my guys, you have to know how to feel. Don't be scared of your emotions. You have to know how to feel. It's very important to be in touch with your emotions. Many people closet their emotions, and that causes a lot of problems in life. They become this ice cube of a human being, a robot, and suddenly their relationships are uh, on ice. <laughs> it's a cute line. And so on. <laughs> and so on. No, you have to be able to feel. So we put him up there. I heard this story from him. Now, I originally read it in Rabbi Pesach Kron's book. But the way I read it, and the way I heard it from him, who was in the concentration camp, on the line. He was on the line of hundreds of Jews being led into Auschwitz when this story took place. So he was an eyewitness. He was a teenager eyewitness watching the story I'm about to tell you. And you know this story. You know the story. They were standing on line that day. There were extra cattle cars that pulled up in front of Auschwitz and they got an overabundance of people all at once. So they couldn't, not, not even the famous Nazis, that was so precise and so orderly and so misudar. But that day they said there was off. One train came early, the other one came late, the whole system. And they had hundreds of people, Jews, men, women, and children, standing online, and they had Dr. Mengele, the angel of death, in the front, telling those to the right, which meant to life, and to the left, which meant to the gas chambers. Hundreds of Jews. And because of that, it was a long wait. There was one Jewish woman online who suddenly stood up and did the unthinkable. She walked off the line. And she walked right up to a Nazi soldier. And everybody was looking at her. What are you doing? What are you doing? They made it very clear. Anybody steps off the line, you shot on the spot. You shot to death. They started screaming, to, get back online, get back online. What are you doing? Get back. She put her head up in the air with a tremendous courage, strength, and nobility. And she walked right up to the Nazi soldier. And she looks at him right in the eye. And she says to him, do you have a knife? Now the soldier, the Nazi, he really thought that she was asking for a knife because he thought she wanted to end it all. She wanted to commit suicide. And for the Nazis, to see a Jew take their own life, that means we broke them. To them, that was a bigger victory than just annihilating them. So to them, this was actually in a sick way, the way they got their kicks. So when he heard that she asked for a knife, he was more than happy to oblige. He pulls the knife out, and with a big smile, he hands her the knife and he says to her, here it is. Go ahead, do it. Do it. He knew that this would break the spirit of the people watching a Jew take their own life. This Jewish woman takes the knife and in front of everybody, hundreds of people, including Mr. Beller, hundreds of people online, she opens her robe slightly and pulls out a little baby, a little infant. She opens up the diaper of the baby and she takes the knife and out loud, she says, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kiddushanu Zodam Zvano, Al Mitzvah Milah. And then she makes the second blessing, Baruch Atah Hashem, Abraham Avinu. And she circumcises the baby. 
and the baby begins to cry. And she hushes the baby. And she raises the baby up in the air over her head. And Mr. Beller said he watched this with his eyes. He said he heard her scream in Yiddish. Eibishter means Boreolam. I did what you commanded me to do for my child. Now, this child's life is in your hands. And with those words, she wraps up the diaper of the baby. She wraps something around the baby for the bleeding to stop. Puts the baby back in the robe. Walks right back up to the Nazi soldier and hands him back the knife. Ah, what a story. The Nazi, his jaw dropped. He couldn't believe his eyes. He didn't say a word. She turns around, puts her head back up in the air, and walks right back onto the line. And nobody budged. No one said a word. That's the sacrifice that we got from Abraham Avinu. That's the strength that we got. The strength that we give over to our kids. And therefore we ask ourselves, am I sacrificing enough? Am I learning enough? Am I sacrificing for my learning? Am I sacrificing for my kids? Am I giving my kids the best role model that they could look up to every day of the week? Am I being that parent to sacrifice for great children? They asked the Chafetz Chaim, how did you become the Chafetz Chaim? And he pointed to a shelf, and there was a Tehillim. And the pages of the Tehillim were drenched with tears. He says, that's the Tehillim of my mother. That's the way we have great kids, with tears, with sacrifice. That was the sweetness and the secret of Abraham Avinu. He knew when to go out, but he also knew when to come back. He understood what it meant to bring up the next great of the Avot HaGdoshim, Sacrifice to Filot for Boy Ladies, thank you for listening.